Praise the Lord. Welcome to the Living Savior Church today. We're going to have fun today serving Jesus. Uh, we're going to really have fun serving the Lord. But when you serve the Lord, it's fun every day. Amen. You get to enjoy what's going on. Uh, I met a new couple a while ago that uh, said they had known me for a long time, uh, but I didn't know them. But they're here today, and they're down from the Houston area, Cleveland, I think. Is that where they've come from? And uh, Al and Jamie... Uh, and I'm going to ask Al, he said that the teaching had changed his life. So, of course, his wife said the same thing. But uh, I'm going to ask Al to come up here right now, right at the beginning, and give us a testimony. I'm really going to put him on the spot. I'm not even going to ask him if he wants to. I'm just going to tell him to get up here and tell us what Jesus has done in his life. Step up here with me, brother. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, I just want to say thank you for your hospitality, number one. Uh, Janie and I come from Cleveland, Texas, just about 30 40 miles uh, north of Houston, a little small town. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, we've got your message through some tapes that Janie and my wife uh, uh, had ordered. Uh, we've been listening to them for about a year and a half, year, year and a half. And as uh, soon as we got those tapes, you know, they said, well, she tells me, well, you know, we got to, want you to listen to this tape. I said, okay, fine. And then, of course, another preacher guy on the tape, you know, you heard that routine. And so, um, but uh, it's funny at the beginning, but, you know, I tell you what, once I started listening to this man, I'll tell you something. It just, caught, it just caught my eye, number one, and my ear. And then my heart started melting because, you know, I was, you know, even though I'm a Christian, uh, we, don't walk the, we don't walk and talk Christian, you know what I'm saying? Um, so after listening to Thurman for about, the first two, three weeks, my faith, my faith was so built up that um, I was taking blood pressure medicine. And, um, you know, I said, you know, God, I thought I, I trusted you and I believed you. And I didn't. You know, how many times have we all heard that and said that before, right? So uh, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to trust on you for 100%. And when I did that, I said, here it goes. I believe you. Boom. I threw the... Uh, blood pressure medicine away. I said, I'm going to trust in you. I said, I was making that pill or those pills my God, the doctor also. I heard it thousands of times through his teaching. First thing you want to do is call 911 or call to a doctor for any symptoms. <laughs> well, our 911 is Jesus. Amen. Um, Amen. So when you call upon him, I guarantee you, you're going to get results. Uh, so anyway, we listened to the tapes for a year and a half. And then, of course, after that, three weeks, I threw that away. A month later, she done the same thing with her medication. Uh, it took her a little longer, but it's okay. Uh, we're set free. We're set free from all that. Uh, and uh, so, for about a year and a half now, no sickness, uh, no nothing come upon us. I mean, you know, I hear Thurman say, "Well, you know, the devil wants to come back." Well, sure he does. He'll come back and, and uh, just put a little symptoms on you. But guess what? My little sword is, or my little knife is. Is my big sword today. <laughs> so, you know, when you have that big sword, guess what the enemy sees? He sees that double edge. And when you have it as big as, you know, we all need to have it, he'll flee, I guarantee you, once you speak the word. So uh, what I have to say today is have faith in God. Trust him because if he did it for me, did it for him. He could do it for me. He could do it for all of us. Amen. So Amen. God bless y'all. Praise the Lord. Glory to Dios. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Okay, I thought that'd be a good place to start. You know, since when I walked in, man, they were on fire. You know, I said, well, we've known you for a year and a half. I didn't have a clue who they were. 
Oh, me, but that's like the other day we went somewhere, and when we did, these two ladies come running over there and grabbed me and everything and hugged me and all this stuff and said, we know you forever. And I thought, well, I need to know what your name is. <laughs> I don't know who you are. But it's, uh, it's wonderful to have sent the message out like this, and people listen to it over and over and over. Just another one of them preachers out. But uh, this this one this one changed your life, didn't he? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm only I'm so humbled to think that God would use me to do those kind of things and change a couple's life like this. And I've seen Him heal so many people. I mean, so many. Uh, in fact, yesterday I had a great testimony down there in Longview. Uh, we went down there and taught a healing school yesterday. Had about 90 people there. And uh, we had a good day. We had a, well, I mean, we started at 1, and we didn't get away. I guess I taught till 5 o'clock, at least 5 o'clock. And then uh, we prayed for people till it must have been 6.30 or 7, uh, or maybe later. I don't know. It was just about dark when we drove away from there last night. But uh, we had a good day down there. But one of the couples that came, uh, they come up for prayer, or come up actually to tell me their testimony didn't come up for prayer at the end. But when they did come up, she said, you remember me? And I said, yes, you, you and your husband was at a healing school uh, a while back. And she said, I'd had uh, ruptured vertebrae in my neck for 20 years. I'd been in chronic pain for 20 years. She said, you prayed for me. and said, nothing happened right then. But she said, in the next few days, my pain started going away. And she said, within a few days, it was completely gone. And she said, I'm telling you, I'm totally pain-free for the first time in 20 years. I've had no pains at all after a few days after you prayed for me. Well, see, Jesus promised to heal his people when they repent. Now, he didn't promise to do a miracle for all of you instantly, but he did promise to heal you. And so that's what we have to learn to stand on the Word. And that's something we as the church don't do very well. We don't stand. You know, I mean, just like Al said, the enemy tries to come back. Oh, yeah, I mean, he'll always do that to you. And when he tries to come back, I got tickled as Al was talking to me earlier, and he made a little note of it there a while ago. He said, used to, his sword was like mine was. Whenever the enemy attacked him, he reached over and grabbed that sword and pulled it out. His blade was about this long like mine was. And he said it wasn't much of a threat to the enemy when he starts gouging the enemy with a little teeny sword about this long. <laughs> he didn't run very far. But said he, when he, after he heard the teachings that was required, he started adding the Word of God into his heart. And every time he adds those scriptures into his heart, he increases the length of that sword. He said, now then when the enemy comes, I reach over and get that sword and I have to go way out to here before I even clear my scabbard with that thing. He said, I got a long, double-edged, gleaming sword which is the Word of God, which is hidden in his heart. And whenever he comes out, now we understand what the king says, when the double-edged sword comes out of his mouth. See, that's the Word of God. So when we hide that Word in our heart, when we, the enemy attacks us, we reach for that sword, which is the Word of God, and we use that to cut the devil asunder. And when we do that, he has to go. Praise the king. Okay, anybody else have a testimony? I won't just stop it without... Anybody else got a testimony you want to tell us about Jesus? Somebody? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, wow. Nobody. Jesus didn't do much this week, huh? <laughs> Maybe the problem with us, huh? Oh, goodness. Okay. Let's get the Word out. And I want us to turn to Timothy. We're going to... 
the Lord took me there <clears throat> last night and uh, again this morning. And uh, I've read in First Timothy 5 is where we're going to go. First <clears throat> Timothy 5. I don't think James said so a while ago, but if you got a cell phone, turn it off. I had I had one, and I turned mine off. And uh, uh, but uh, I, I think I would have never said that if I hadn't already turned mine off. <laughs> well, that happens once in a while. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to you today, Lord, with your mighty word, the mighty word of the living God, we're so grateful, so thankful, so thankful for this mighty word, that, Lord, that you didn't stutter when you wrote this book. You said it exactly like you meant it. Now, help us, Lord, to get this from it. And so we will be able to hide the word in our hearts, so we'll be able to do exactly what you say, and we'll be able to treat others exactly like you tell us to treat them in the God kind of love. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy 5 is where I want us to start. And 1 Timothy 5 says, Never speak harshly to an older man. That's the way it starts off. Never speak harshly to an elder or to an older man. So some of us need to heed that. We need to listen to this. And, of course, you know, the older man might be your father. You know, it might be a man you're working with. And, and an older man, I mean a man... I mean, even when you get my age, there's men older than me, you know. So uh, some of you may think that's hard to believe, you know, that there's somebody older than me. But there is some older than me out there. Praise the Lord. And I'm so grateful, you know, to be had the privilege to live to, uh, and be so healthy and everything. And I'm going to still be doing this when I'm 100. You know, I mean, I'm going to live a long, long time. But it says, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as though he were your own father. So, if somebody's doing something that you don't think is right and they're older than you, speak gently to them. Then it says, talk to the younger men as you would to your own brothers. Now then, some of you uh, might think, well, I can talk to my brother any way I want to, but that's not true either. You know, you've got to talk to them. And when he's talking here, you're supposed to speak to the men that are younger than you, gentle and in loving kindness. So these are the way the, the Lord would tell us to speak to one another. In fact, <clears throat> I've, I've gotten this picture from the Lord. As I, if I go to say something to my wife, or I go to say something to Ernest here, or any one of you, if I were to start to say something to you, and say I was going, fixing to talk to Ernest, and he was, I was fixing to say something to him, and we were walk up face to face, and we're fixing to talk. And if I was fixing to say something, maybe let's say Ernest did something to me that I didn't like, and I was going to be a little bit stern with him. Let's say that if I did that, and if Jesus were to appear directly between me and Ernest, would I change my tone as I speak to Ernest if the king appeared directly between me and Ernest? I've got a feeling that it would change the tone of my heart and everything else. Well, see, this is the picture. Christ is in him. He's already there. So when I start to say something to him or to my wife or anyone else, I need to remember that. That when I start to talk, Jesus 
is in you. Christ, the hope of glory. So when I communicate with you, I need to talk to you just like I would if Jesus was standing right here. Always remember that when you start to talk to someone because he's always there. When you start to say something to someone else, regardless whether they're older than you or younger than you, when you start to communicate with them, how would you talk to them? Would you do the same thing, just like this lovely daughter of the king right here? A while ago, when I was introduced to her standing here, she told me she had carpal tunnel. Well, I tried to treat her exactly like as if the king was standing right here. I lovingly took both of her arms and immediately rebuked that spirit of carpal tunnel and commanded it to leave in the name of Jesus. Amen. And fully expecting it to be totally gone. Now, don't you think that's the way Jesus would have done it if he had been standing there? Sure. He said he bore our sickness and removed our disease. So he expects us with Christ in me to do the same thing for her. He would if he had been here. And that's exactly what he did when he was here. Now, he said, as the Father has sent me to do his will, he cast out the demons. He healed the sick. He saved the lost. He said, I send you to go and do likewise. Is that what he said? Amen. So, being introduced to a daughter of the king that has a problem, what am I going to do? Say, oh, it's good to meet you, young lady. I hope you have a good day today. <laughs> yeah, go home and take some pain pills. No, I have the cure in me. She has the cure in her. And when I step into faith and reach up and grab her arms, that carpal tunnel has got to go. It can't stay in the name of Jesus. I have seen many, many, many people with carpal tunnel instantly healed. And I expect all of them to be instantly healed when I rebuke that spirit because Jesus lives in me. Is that right? Jesus lives in us. He says, now then, after that, he says, talk to the younger men as you would to your brother. Treat the older women as you would your mother. Well, now, you know, it's amazing that some people have totally lost touch of how you're supposed to treat your mother. You know, there is people out there that don't know how to treat their mothers. But I'm going to tell you the only place you can learn how to treat your mother is in church or reading God's Word. I mean, you don't talk down to your mother. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't get nasty with your mother. You honor your mother, and if you honor your mother, the Word of God says that your life and father, it says your life will be long on the earth. Well, now let me tell you, for all those people that the enemy has deceived and drawn them away, and they do not respect their mother and father, if your children do not respect you and honor you, you better Go to the throne of grace and start praying for them and start asking God to reveal to them the truths of the Word of God. Because if they don't honor their mother and father, you know what's going to happen to those children? Their life is not going to be long on the earth. It's going to be short or at least shorter. Now then, whenever it says here, you are to treat the older women as you would your mother. In other words, how should you treat your mother? With loving kindness, gentleness. I mean, I think about my mother. I had one of the most wonderful mothers you could ever have. I mean, this woman, she was, I never heard her and my daddy have an argument. I never heard my mother raise her voice. She never screamed at me in all of her life. I can remember one time when I got to be grown, you know, I'm dry, I loved to drive fast when I was about 20, 21 years old. 
You know, I mean, some people that ride with me today would never know that because, you know, even Cheryl wants to say, honey, the speed limit's 55, you're driving 40. You know, I, you know I, I, but I'm talking or I'm worshiping the Lord or I'm talking to her, whatever, or I'm looking. She said, don't look at me, watch the road, you know, as I drive off the side of the road and all those kind of things. But I, I'm not in a hurry anymore like I used to be. Some of you guys was young like I was one time and you were in a hurry and you'd done some silly things. But I remember one time I was driving about 80 and my mother was in the car with me and I'm 20 or 21 years old. And she said, son, would you please not drive so fast? You're breaking the law. I said, mom, I'm an adult now. I can do anything I want to do. Now, that wasn't honoring my mother, but at least. I didn't, my mother never screamed at me, so I didn't scream back at her, nothing like that. She was kind and gentle. But I should have, if I had known what this word says, when mother said, son, you're driving a little fast, I should have looked down and said, oh, mom, I'm sorry, let me drive the speed limit. Now, that's what I should have done. But back in those days, I didn't know about honoring my parents, although I did honor my mother and father most of the time. But that day, I did not. I see, Lord, I repent for that. You know, I repented before, but I repent because I don't want that strike against me. I don't want to give the enemy legal right because the Lord says you are to honor your parents, not just your mother. But he says here, treat all the older women. The Scripture doesn't say this, but he says treat the older women. So I'm going to throw the word in all. Treat all the older women as if they were your mother. And if you don't know how to treat your mother, you need to come talk to me and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do to your mother. You're supposed to treat her lovingly and kindly. If she has needs, you're supposed to meet those needs. I can think about the times when my mother, whenever she was, her and dad were getting older, I remember one time going down to the house and Dad was way up in his 70s now, and, and he couldn't see very good anymore. He had some little cataracts formed on his eyes, and he couldn't see uh, like he could. And Mother's car had uh, run low on oil or something, and, and it had uh, a rod bearing had gotten loose in it. And, of course, Dad pulled a pan off of it, and he kind of filed a crankshaft down. He put a new bearing in it. And when I got down there, Mother told me that what had happened, and I said, well, Mom, if he had to, I said, Dad, you had to file a crankshaft? And he said, yeah, but I'll polish it with some crocus cloth. I think it'll be okay. I said, well, Dad, I don't, I don't think that's going to hold very long, and I don't want Mom out there running around, you know, and trying to go places or to Abilene, whatever. I, I want her car fixed right. So I said, I'm just going to leave you my car, and I'm going to load yours on her. I'm going to come down Monday, and I'm going to bring a trailer with my pickup, and I'm going to haul your car back to my shop, and I'm going to fix it. So I brought brought him a car to use, and I took the car back home. I pulled the engine out of it, and I'm telling you, I did the best job on that car. I knew how to do. When I got through with that car under the hood, it looked like a brand-new car. Everything under it was perfect. I overhauled everything. I didn't cut no corners. I paid the price for everything. When I took it back to Mom, until Mom died, she never had another problem under the hood of that car. Now, see, that's the way, and I paid for everything. I didn't charge her nothing. It was an honor for me to treat my mother and father like this. It was a blessing to be able to give them something back that they had so diligently poured into me all these years. But that's the kind of love that you're supposed to have for your mother. 
If you don't have that kind of love for your mother, then you need to ask God to be able to put that love in your heart. Some of you have got loving mothers. Some of you have got mothers that are not lovable. You know, that some of them you have to love from a distance because some mothers have never learned the Word of God like this. They don't know. But it's your responsibility to continue to love your mothers. Then he says, and treat the older women as you would your mother, and then treat the younger women with all purity as your own sisters. Now then, I know some of you may have been raised up in a home where that you were abused by your brothers, and this happens. Or your fathers abused you. But that's not the kind of home that God's talking about here. He's talking about homes that are clear and pure and holy. You know, where daddy loves his daughters and he loves his wife and he loves and the love of God is in that home. And when that love of God is in that home, you raise up good children, pure children, clean children. And the brothers and sisters treat each other with respect and dignity. And that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. Then he says, now then we're going to give you some advice about widows. I've heard a lot of people make a lot of statements about the church taking care of the widows. So I want to show you what the Word says about the widow. Now then, it says the church should care for any widow who has no one else to care for her. Now that's the first statement. The church should care for a widow that has no one to take care of her. Now I've had widows come to this church that were young women that wanted me to pay their apartment rent, wanted me to pay their car payments, wanted me to buy their groceries. You know, and some of them, after I did this for a while, I say, you know, you need to get you a job and go to work. You know, you're a young woman. You know, you're not, you don't meet the criteria. Well, I'm a widow. It's the church's responsibility to take care of me. I'm going to tell you they don't know the word. That's why I'm talking, one of the reasons I'm talking about this today It says here, but if she has children, if this widow has children or grandchildren, either one, their first responsibility is show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. So, in other words, if you're a widow and you have children or grandchildren, whose responsibility is it to take care of you? Your children and your grandchildren. So... It's not the church's job to take care of a woman, I don't care how old she is, if she has children and grandchildren. Now, when my dad died at 79, my mother lived on to 83, and she was a year younger than dad anyway, so she lived five years uh, longer than dad did. But in those five years, guess who took care of mama well? Me. I mean, if mama needed anything... I remember going home one time and, you know, Mama, she was always the best cook in the world and everything, but she's getting up in age now. And I told her, I said, Mom, I'm going to buy you a microwave. Now, see, I didn't understand what microwaves did back in those days. I didn't understand they're really not too good for you. I mean, I now know that if I'm going to eat something that's come out of a microwave, I guarantee I'm going to pray a little extra hard over it if it comes out of a microwave. I didn't understand the radiation and what it did, but... My mother, I told her, I said, Mom, I'm going to buy you a microwave so you'll have something to heat things so you know you can eat little things like you do. Oh, son, 
I've heard about them things, but I don't need one of those. I've used the stove so many years. I don't mind heating up the stuff. I said, no, Mom, I'm going to buy you a microwave. So I bought Mom a microwave and tuck it down there. And she said, son, I don't know how to do all them buttons. I said, I've got you one that's so simple, Mom. Come over here and let me show you. And I brought her and I showed her how simple it was to push a couple of buttons and, and start it. And so she put something in there and it warmed it up and it was nice and warm. And she said, well, son, that's so fast and that was so easy. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I said, I wanted you to have one, Mom, just because I love you. Man. See, now, I mean, I love my mother. I mean, I could go back by this time. I'm a grown man and I could go back and look how loving and kind my mother was to me. And, of course, I've got my own children and they're half grown by this time. But I thought, you know. I didn't understand what it took and the dedication that my mother and the time she had to work so hard to provide for us. And she did it never complaining or nothing. But now that I've got children, I understand what she had to go through. And I thought, wow, she worked hard, worked at the laundry over in Goldsway there at the washer walked in that hot place, washed and ironed clothes to make a few little dollars. And when I'd come through after school... I mean, I could come in. She said, son, are you hungry? I said, oh, yeah. She said, would you like to have a hamburger or something? I said, oh, I'm hungry. So hamburgers, you could buy one for a quarter. Well, she gave me a quarter of her hard-earned money. With no question, she loved to give me those things. I didn't realize how hard she worked for that quarter. But she just uncompromisingly would hand me whatever she'd worked for. You talk about a loving mother. I had one. So, I mean, since she poured that love out on me, when she got older, I'm going to cut no corners to take care of my mama. I mean, when my mama, one day, I mean, mother, I was home and she, we had lived in a little old house. And, and she said something. She said, I just don't have enough cabinet space. And my old cabinets is not very good. She said, I wished I had a new cabinet or something. Man, I said, I heard her say that. I mean, a little later, I had a vacation. I took all my routers and my saws and all that stuff. And I showed up on the weekend. And I said, Mom, I got a week's vacation. And this week, I'm going to spend it with you. And I'm going to build you a whole new set of cabinets for your house. And, man, I did. And I paid for them and everything. I wouldn't have thought about asking Mama to pay for that. I mean, I paid the price. I took my vacation money, and I invested it in my mother. Amen. Why did I do that? Because that mother uncompromisingly poured out her love on me all those years. I would have given my mother anything I had, but that's a God kind of love. See, when you, when you spread that kind of a God kind of love to your children, that kind of love is what comes back. Because God says, as a man sows, that also shall you reap. Amen. So if you're a mother, you need to be concerned. You need to pour out the love. You need to raise your children. But you can't start when they get to be 20 or 30 or 40 years old. You've got to start when they're babies. You've got to love them from day one. And that's where so many of us don't know these principles because we've not been in the Word, and so we get cheated. We get cheated. We don't know how to do these things. And that's like uh, the brother and I was talking back there a while ago, Brother John and I were talking about how we've been cheated so many years, although we've been in church all of our life, we didn't know that God really meant what He said, and that we didn't know these great and awesome promises, so we didn't ever act on those promises, so we got cheated out of seeing God do all kinds of wonderful things all through our life because we didn't believe what His Word says. 
And so the enemy's done a good job on us. Then he says here, after we, if, if, if you have children or grandchildren, uh, their responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. Now, this is something that pleases God very much. Now, how do you like to please God? Would you like to please Him? Yes. Ooh, I do. I like to please the Lord. So, although I didn't understand these principles back there, when mother and dad had poured out that God kind of love on me, and as now then they're getting older, I'm repaying that and everything. I don't realize that every time I do something good for mom and dad, I'm making God happy. Hey, I like to make God happy. Because when you make God happy, then later in life when you come along and you please Him all these times, even though you didn't know you was doing it, you was taking care of your parents, you was loving them, you were doing everything. Then one day when you stepped into the world of faith, He said, oh, you've been an obedient son. You've taken care of your mother, you've done everything, and your daddy. You took care of everything I told you to do. You walked in my kind of love with people, and you've loved them. Now then, because of that love you walked in, I'm going to pour into you something that is beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to allow you to walk in faith. Wow. It makes it all worthwhile. I guarantee it makes it all worthwhile. But a woman who is a true widow, one who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God alone. Night and day, night and day, she asks God for help and spends much time in prayer. Now then, this is a special widow. This woman is not watching television and watching soap operas at home by herself. She's on her face before God interceding. Now, this is the difference in the women today. You know, many, many women today, once they get uh, to be a widow and their husband is gone on maybe to be with the Lord or something like that, I mean, they spend their time at home listening to the radio or watching television. You know, many of them do that. And, of course, most of the television programs, if you're not watching Christians, are not fit to watch. And so you're feeding the wrong thing into your heart and your soul. But said this woman spends much time in prayer. Much time in prayer. She's seeking the Lord. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead. In other words, if you're a woman and you're a widow and you spend time in pleasure for yourself, uh, you're going places, you know, you're doing things, and you're only doing things to please yourself. You know, you're not out there helping people. You're not spending any time on your face before God. You're not praying. You're just watching television, listening to the radio, listening to music or whatever, and you want to go out to eat when you want to go out to eat, and you want to go do everything that pleases you. And God says you're spiritually dead while you live. Then he says, give these instructions to the church so that the widows you support will not be criticized. But those who won't care for their own relatives. Now, think about this. But those who will not care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household. But he doesn't say you need to be living in the same household. In other words, if your mother or your somebody is a widow... Even though I was not living in the same household with my mom when she 
after dad went home to be with the Lord, the next five years, I still took care of mother and every need she had. But he says those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe. Such people are worse than an unbeliever. Wow. So you're a believer. You're a child of God. And you're a a widow. And there is someone out there that your children or your grandchildren, and they will not take care of you. Even if they live in another city or another state, they won't take time to help mama. They won't send her money. They won't take, help take care of her. Don't offer to help her. Just let her live on her own. Do whatever she wants to. No problem. And especially maybe if they live in the same house with her and say, we ain't got time to mess with you. You know, I mean, forget this. You know, we're going to go do what we want to do. And if you need help, then you're just going to have to make it on your own. Now, the Lord says those kind of people are worse than an unbeliever. Even unbelievers do better than that. Somebody said, well, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to take care of your mother. Or if your mother is a widow, you're supposed to help take care of her. You're supposed to love her, be good to her. Now, mother may not receive it sometimes. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes mothers that are not taught the Word of God, even though they're widows, they don't know how to receive your help. When you try to help them, they may not thank you for the help. They may condemn you with what you've done. That can kind of be heartbreaking, but that's okay. You're pleasing God. You know, you're at least helping them. You're trying to help them. So he says here, a widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old. So if you come to me and say, I'm 55 and I'm a widow and I need to be put on the list to be a widow, you don't meet the qualifications. You've got to be at least 60. If you're 60, I mean, the way I look at it, it's a good thing God wrote this in the Word. Because if you come to me and say, I'm a widow and I'm 60, I said, well, honey, you look like you're pretty good health. So get out and get you a job. Amen. You know, I don't care if you're 60. Hey, if you've got two legs under you and you can stand up and walk, you ought to be working, right? I mean, you don't need to be home sitting around doing nothing, watching television, let somebody else support you. You know, now, if you're a widow and you're healthy, I don't care if you're 60. You know, if you can still walk and talk, you know, I I mean, hey, get out there and get you a job. Find you one. Go to work. I'm going to tell you what Paul said. If you don't work, you don't eat if you're capable of working. You know, get out there. When you get hungry, you'll go to work. You know, now then, if you've got a problem. You know, you're, you're maybe uh, got some health issues or something, and you've not learned how to walk in faith, but you're trying, you know, or you've got something uh, that's kind of incapacitated you in a way. I'll help you if you need it. You know, if you're drawing money from some kind of government uh, organization, then you need to take that money and you need to try your best to make it last. You need to learn how to manage what you've got. You know, if you've got uh, uh, $500 a month coming in, if that's all you've got, then you don't spend money foolishly. You don't go out to eat, you know, because you you know that, you know, I, I think about how many times, of course, I have been blessed. God has blessed me 
with some very nice resources in my life. You know, I mean, I've got a nice income and I've got a gas well that's bringing a little money in. So I'm grateful for that money that I have that's coming in because although now I'm way past that retirement age from the company and everything else, you know, I could sit back on a rocking chair on my porch and do absolutely nothing and live very comfortably from now on. But I couldn't do that. But I could. So I wouldn't have to work. I couldn't have to do anything. But even at my age, what would I do if I sat back in a rocking chair for a while and did nothing and stopped producing fruit for the kingdom? You know what would probably happen to me in a short period of time? Sure, God would say, oh, since I've learned what this whole thing's about now on earth, he says, to them that produce fruit, then I continue to let, leave you healthy and let you produce fruit because what I wait for is the precious fruit of the earth, which is souls. Amen. So you need to be about my business. Now then, if I stop producing fruit for the kingdom, although I might say, well, Lord, I'm 68 years old almost now. I've done my due for you. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to retire now, too many pastors do this. They sit back. I don't find in the Word of God a retirement plan nowhere. I only find a benefit plan, but I don't find a retirement plan. And so by having no retirement plan, he tells me, regardless of how old I am, I am to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. I am to be winning souls into the kingdom. I am to be casting out demons, healing the sick, doing everything, getting the lost saved and the sick healed. And doing everything that I can. Now, I can't heal a soul, but when I speak in His name, He can. And when I speak in faith, He can do awesome things. And that's all He asked me to do is to do my part, and He'll do the supernatural part. And so when I do that, God shows up. But He can't do these things unless you do your part. That's what's so amazing. Unless we teach it, unless they hear the Word, unless somebody, a preacher, is out there doing it, uh, he, he can't do anything. So that's why he tells us to go. And as we go, then he's going to produce fruit and, and fruit's going to come in. And then he'll let us live. But if I sit back and say, okay, you know, I'm, well, I'm, I'm just going to work two more years. When I get 70, that's it. I'm going to sit down on my front porch out there. You know, I'm going to stop doing everything. I'm just going to let my uh, Social Security come in and my oil money, my gas money come in and I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to drink soda pops and eat popcorn and I'm going to watch television and I'm going to quit. And he said, oh yeah, okay, go ahead and do that. That's a free choice you have. But he's going to work on me. He's going to send people back. Come on, tell me, let's go get somebody saved. No, I ain't got time to mess with this. You know, well, after a year or two, he's going to say, okay, you ain't going to do it, are you? And when I say, I don't need you no more, Bam. And I'm out of here. And somebody's well, he was just healthy as he could be. And all of a sudden, he just died. Isn't that a shame? Well, hey, I don't want to die like that. I want to, I want to, when I go home, I want to be translated out. And I want to be saving somebody just as I go out. Amen. I want to get one more saved. And as I do, or one more healed or delivered or whatever. And when I do, the Lord said, okay, that's the last one for you. That's it. Bam. He said, you've done exactly what I've told you to do now. Come on. And I want to be walking like this, casting out demons. And all of a sudden, when I take that step, I say, where'd the church go? And I say, whoa, God, where is this place? Wow, this is awesome. That's where we want to do it. Right, Ernie? Woo, glory to God. He said, yeah, come on in, son. Well done. Wow, that's what we want to hear. See, my goodness gracious, I definitely don't want to go home sick and afflicted. Now then, a widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old 
and has, was faithful to her husband. Faithful to her husband. Not one that run around on her husband, but a faithful husband. She must be well respected by everyone. Ooh. Everyone. In other words, she needs to be a Proverbs 31, verse 10 on woman. And if you haven't read Proverbs 31, start with verse 10 about what kind of woman you need to be, you need to read that. It really puts some demands on you women. I'm telling you, if you haven't read it, in fact, the preacher that preached a message on my mother when my mother died at 83, that was his message. He said, this woman, was he had known her for years. He said, Artis Scrivener was a Proverbs 31 woman. And I'll have to agree, she was that woman. And there's a few of you out there today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Now, if you don't know Jesus and you're not serving Jesus, there is no way you can bring up your children well. You know, what a shame the way the devil gets into us today. Young men and young women get married, have children, have babies, and most of them have no idea how to raise them. Most of them have no knowledge. In fact, that's one thing I'm so grateful to the Lord for, that I didn't have children right off the bat. We was married 15 years before Timothy came along, and then two more years before Amanda came along. And by this time, I am well-founded in the Word. Well-founded. And it made such a tremendous difference in the children. Now, if we'd have started our family the first year... I'm telling you, I knew so little about God's Word. So little. I mean, I can only imagine the difference would have been in my children. But how many of you, I won't ask you to hold your hand up, but had your children young when you didn't know anything about God, didn't know anything about raising children, and now you're reaping what you sowed? I mean, some of those children are still not saved. You know, some of them still living in sin. But they looked at your example and how terrible that was. And now you think, oh, God, Lord, if I could just do this over. But you can't do it over. That's, a, that's the thing about it is. But, you know, that's why it's so important that you and me as Christians, we teach the people, especially the younger people, about Jesus and about the responsibility of walking holy and obedient to His Word. Can you imagine a young couple that gets married that know all these requirements of God's Word. They've been beat into them since they was born, raised in a home that taught them and had a living example of a daddy that was a man that would fall on his knees before God, that would do nothing without praying, that prayed over every meal, that loved his wife like Christ loved the church. I mean, that treated his wife with that kind of love. And the children saw this. And they hold the children and get the Word of God, get them all in his lap every night when he's a, a young man and they're little. And he gets them up there and he reads these mighty stories and talks about these mighty things that God has done to his children from day one. And he was a living example of Christ to those children. Boy, when they get to be 10 or 12 years old, man, they know what it's all about. You know, well, Dad, this or that, what about this? He said, well, son, let's go see what the Word says about this. And every time they have a question, Daddy said, well, son or daughter, let's see what the Word has to say about this. And you always give them, and you make God number one in your life. 
Amen. When you make God number one in your life and you live that holy example for your children, let me tell you, when one of your children gets sick, and they will, the enemy will come by your house. But when he does, the children will learn. I mean, that they said, Daddy, I'm not feeling very well. Will you lay your hands on me and kick this sickness out of me in the name of Jesus? And Daddy lays his hands on them and the sickness goes away. And then at school, somebody's sick and they say, you know, if you'd like to get healed, come over to my house. My daddy's the best doctor there is because he knows the great physician and his name's Jesus. Every time I get sick, my daddy lays hands on me and commands the sickness to leave. And it goes away and I don't ever have to be sick. How would you like to raise children like that? Hey, that's the way it should be. But you know, I didn't know those things when I was raising my children. But it's in the book. It's in the book. But just think what we could do. Now then, as some of us are older, parents and grandparents, we can teach them to our children and our grandchildren. I know one of the things Ty has told me, he said, I want to be close to my grandchildren because I know these things now and I want to teach them to my grandbabies. And that's what he's doing, you know, as he goes fishing with them or swimming with them or whatever he does. He's a walking example. Of course, him and Cheryl both. Now, as grandparents, they're walking examples of Christ to their children and their grandchildren. But when their children was little, they didn't know these things either. They're just like the rest of us. You know, if they had it to do over, they'd do it over too. Because if they could only know then what they know now, and they could have walked this holy with this knowledge whenever their first child was born, I guarantee things in their house would have been different too. But see, we don't know these things. But when we get to be parents and grandparents and we do learn these things, then we can teach them to our grandbabies. And our grandbabies can be different. You can change them. You can change their lives. But he says, here... It says, uh, this talking about this woman, this widow, she must have brought up her children well. I mean, this is something that I think very few women have learned how to do, is to raise up their children well. Uh, most people try to raise up their children, get them grown, use the television as a babysitter, get them in college, try to get them through school so they can get an education so they can go to work and make their own living. But that's not what God says you're supposed to do. You're supposed to found your children in the Word of God. And if they'll get in the Word of God, then you won't have to worry. I mean, your children will take that straight path and their lives will be blessed. Because God says, if you serve me, he didn't say if you get a good education, you'll be blessed. He said, if you put me first, you will be blessed. I've seen men and women that got a line of degrees this long that can't make it. You know, that have been broke, that have no wisdom. And then I've seen somebody that has no education, it appears, that is just super blessed. Everything they do, God blesses them because they've read the Word and they've been obedient to the Word. So that's what makes the difference. But she must have brought up her children well to qualify for a widow for the church to support. Has she been kind to strangers? Has she been kind to strangers? Has she served other Christians humbly? Has she been a real great woman? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? You know, this is a pretty stiff set of requirements to qualify to be a widow for the church to support. You know that? 
there's not going to be many of them that the church should have to support. You know, the thing about it is, the government tries to support these people. And, you know, they put no requirements almost on this. You know, in fact, you can, just have, you can have a young woman get pregnant and have a baby, and the government will support them because they went out and got pregnant out of wedlock. And that's not exactly what God's Word says we're supposed to do. And we have raised up a nation of people now that have sinned and think they deserve to be paid for their sin. And our nation is paying dearly for this. Our nation. And you and I are helping pay those bills every day. And that's what's so devastating. So, then it says the younger widows. The younger widows should not be put on the list. What would be a younger widow? Anybody less than 60. You know, and like I said, I don't care if you're 65. I don't care if you're 70. If you're able to work, you need to get out and find you a job and go to work. You know, because you need to be busy. You need to be doing something. Life gets pretty dull when you're sitting around with nothing to do. You know, if all the church does is pay your rent and buys your groceries and all you got to do is sit around the house all day, I'm telling you that idleness is the devil's workshop. I don't care if you're man or woman. But it says the younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Now, see, you take a young woman, a 50 or 55-year-old young woman, she is still in that prime of her life when she wants a man. She wants a, a man physically to satisfy her needs. I mean, that's something that doesn't go away with most women, even when they get older. Lots of them, that just never goes away. So, I mean, if she's 50 years old or 55 years old, and she's not really led by the Lord, I mean, it's so easy for her to get to thinking about, well, I need a husband or I need a man, you know. And so she goes out to the wrong places, finds one, and maybe gets her physical needs temporarily met for one night. But that woman's living in sin. And that woman is setting herself up for a destruction and for death. It's going to kill her. It's going to make her sick and afflict her. So the Lord knows that. So he tells us in his word. It says that her physical desires will over, overpower her devotion to Christ, and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. He said, besides, they are likely to become lazy and spend their time gossiping from house to house and getting into other people's business and saying things they shouldn't. Wow. He just laid it out, didn't he? That's exactly what happens. You know, when we have nothing to do, we're going to do something. And so we're going to watch television and stop, start watching soap operas. And I think about this widow a few years ago that two pastors, uh, they were her pastors, and they knew I had a healing ministry. And so they called me. They didn't know much about healing. They called me and wanted me to meet them in a certain place and go visit this woman. So I went. I went in, and when I walked in, I'll use the name Mary. I walked into Mary's house and with those two pastors, and, and they had told her uh, we were coming at a certain time that evening. So when we walked in, she's watching a soap opera, you know, and I walk in and sit down at the table with her, and this television's over there blaring. And about 15 minutes, I said, ma'am, would you mind turning that off while we're here? Oh, okay. I said, do you watch that all the time? Oh, yeah. She said, I watch TV all the time. I don't have anything else to do. 
I said, you know, you could be reading the Word. Amen. You know, I said, they tell me you have cancer. She said, well, yeah. I said, well, that's not going to heal you. That's what brought it on you. And so we sat there and we talked for another 30 minutes. In the course of the next 30 minutes of talking about the Word, trying to show her where her sins were and getting her healed, this woman used a word of profanity twice. When she used it twice, I said, ma'am, I can't minister to you. She said, what do you mean? I said, you've used two words of profanity since I've been here, and I come as a man of God to get you healed. She said, I have not. And to show you how dead her heart was, her pastor said, Mary, you have. I heard both of them just like he did. You have used two words of profanity while he's been talking to you. And she said, well, I didn't realize it. I said, Mary, the reason you didn't realize it is because you watch that trash all day long. And it's being fed into your heart and it's coming out of your mouth. I said, you cannot get healed feeding that trash into your heart. As a daughter of the king, if you really are, you need to turn that stuff off. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you and tell him you'll get in his word. And if you want to get healed, that's what you're going to have to do. Well, we finally, after a couple of hours, we left. We prayed with her. And she said, well, I really like my shows. Okay. We walked out and got in the car. And the pastor, he said, the senior pastor, he said, what do you think, Thurman? I said, she'll be dead in three weeks or less. He said, you don't think she's going to get healed? I said, no. I said, she's not willing to get in the Word. You heard her tell us. She's going to absorb that junk she's watching on television. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to kill her. That's why she's got cancer. She's fed that junk into her heart. She's not in the Word. She's made that television her God. She's turned her back on the King. And I said, I guarantee she'll be dead in three weeks or less. It wasn't but just a few weeks, maybe two or whatever, a very short period of time. He called me and said, Thurman, you were exactly right. Mary died today. I said, I knew she wasn't going to last long. You can't last long putting some other God before you. Amen. And that's what this widow had done. She had put the television before God. Now then he says... Uh, so he said, I advise the younger widows to marry again. Now, if you're a young widow, God says in his word, he advises you to marry again. But let me give you young, unmarried girls some instructions. Don't go looking for him yourself because you may make the wrong decision. You ask the king to send you the right man. And then you stay and wait for him to send you the right man. Now, if you're a male and you're younger and you would like a mate, you ask the king to send you the right woman. And then you wait. Don't go out there and start dating every girl you see. Because if you start going out and dating every girl you see, the enemy will get involved and you will do some things with some of them that will be sent by the devil that you won't like what you do. And I've had people do that. I've had men come in here and ask me to pray for them, because, and Christian men that got out into the wrong place, that went down to the places where the wrong girls hang out and get one of them and go out. And first thing you know, he's in bed with her. And then he comes to me and says, I've got a venereal disease and I need you to pray for me. 
Hey, I've seen that over and over and over. So don't go there. Don't go there. Now then, he says, so the younger widows, they should marry and have children. If you're young enough and you haven't had children and you won't have children, he says you can have children and you can take care of your own home. Now, a woman, if a woman's doing what God called her to do, if she's taking care of the house, it will, if she, especially if she's got children in that house, it'll keep her busy. You know, all you need is one or two or three. And I'm telling you, if you keep any kind of a house at all, and you got one or two or three of them little rug critters running around on the floor, it's going to keep you busy. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do. Night and day, they will keep you up. <laughs> they will definitely keep you busy. So this will keep you out of the television set. You know, this will keep you out of the wrong kind of magazines. This will keep you out of the wrong kind of stores and everything else. These little critters will keep you busy. So this is, and God knows this. That's why he says you take care of your own homes. Then, he says, he tells you exactly by taking care of your own home, then the enemy will not be able to say anything against you. He will not be able to accuse you for being out running around or something. And the enemy, of course, is the devil and his demons. The devil loves to accuse us when we do something wrong. He never misses it. But the Lord says, if you do what he says and you take care of your household as a younger widow, you'll do things that are according to God's word, then you will give no place to the enemy. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Now, there's some of the young women that's already gone astray. I mean, it's very easy for a young woman... I don't care when I say young, there's widows out there that are 20, there's widows out there that are 30, there's widows that are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, widows of every age. But if the widow, regardless of what the age is, if you're not staying in God's Word, you're not praying, you're not seeking God, many of those women get out with the wrong group and start running around with the wrong people and dating the wrong kind of guys. And when they do, they fall into sin and then you give Satan legal right to destroy you. And in other words, what the Lord is saying here, you're following after Satan. That is Satan's ways. And he's doing that. He might just get you to become a busybody and just visiting in people's home and sitting around chatting about this one or that one or whatever. And there you're still following Satan. You're not supposed to be doing that. Then he says here, if a Christian woman has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them. If a Christian woman, a Christian woman has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. So it looks like if we've got family, it's family's responsibility to take care of our loved ones. You know, and that's what God is saying. Then the church can care for widows who are truly alone. Now then, there is a rare case once in a while when you find a woman that has nobody, no children, and her husband has died, and there's no children, and maybe she had no children. And there's a lot of women that come through life that have had no children. And today especially. Now, used to that was not the case. Very few women made it to the point to be 40 years old and didn't have one or two children. Very few. 
But today, many women, because of all the birth control devices and everything else, they're too busy in the executive world and they don't want children. And so they, they want sex, you know, and some of them are married and some of them are not. And they get what they want physically, but they have never had any children. And then when they get to be 40 or 50, they think, well, it's too late to start now. I've enjoyed all those younger years running around doing what I wanted to do. Now I'm 40 or 50. I don't believe I want to start now raising a family. And so they do that. And then one day, you know, mom and dad die. Had very few relatives. And all of a sudden one day their husbands die. And here they are 65 years old. And not a single person out there to help take care of them. No relatives. No family of no kind. And maybe the kind of women that live like that, they may not be in the best of health when they get to be 65. They could be kind of sickly because the sins of their life are going to bring on some kind and or many kinds of physical diseases, and they will never understand what brought that to them. They will not understand why they're not healthy. But a woman that grows up in this world that does not meet this criteria that has lived in sin Many different things will come upon her body to cause her to be sick or weak. Many things. Because sin does that to us. Sin does it. And, you know, you may be able to pray off some of those things, and some of those things you may never be able to pray off. You know, you may just have those all of your life because of sin. I have known of people, uh, men and women, that have lived in sin and that have got to a point and... Uh, they had lived in some kind of sin, and they came by faith and asked the Lord in later years to do great things, and God would heal several things for them. But there would be some of the things it's just like He refuses to heal. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't understand that. I don't understand why that one person can get totally, completely healed of everything, and another one can get three things taken care of, but there's one thing that just seems like you can't pray it off. Now, I don't know, it may, it may be that we just don't stand the faith, the test of faith long enough. You know, the average Christian, since we're raised up in the microwave technology, when we pray for somebody, if we don't get healed instantly, we thank God didn't hear my prayer. Oh, he don't love me. Yes, he does love you. He may be trying to teach you something. And if you go along there and you think, well, God healed this one instantly. Thurman prayed for them, and they got well. But he prayed for me, and then nothing happened. But just like that couple yesterday, when I prayed for them, nothing happened that we could see. But a matter of a week or two, what it was after, 20 years of bad vertebrae in her neck were completely healed, and no pain whatsoever. And now then, she and her and her husband both are greatly rejoicing, because for the last couple of months now, for the first time in 20 years, I have no pain. And we know what that's like, don't we? Yes, to have no pain. We love to have no pain. But just think, because of her sins, or her and her husband's together's sins, for 20 years she had suffered with those ruptured vertebrae. How long had the healing power of Jesus been available to her? For 2,000 years. It had been available forever. Why didn't she know it? Because she had went the ways of the world and not reading and studying and praying over God's Word. Why did it take me so long to get a hold of it? The same thing. You know, I didn't know it either. You know, I went far too many years without knowing this 
and I was in church. And I was thought I was studying a little, but I just wasn't believing what was written. And when I get a hold of that, it'll change your life forever, won't it? It'll change, it changed yours, didn't it, Al? It changed yours and your wife and everybody around you. It changed the way you do things, changed the way you live. Oh, like you said, you were a Christian just like I was. But when you start hearing what God says, man, ooh, what did he, wow, opened the door. I got a light, a revelation. Now then, Lord, I'm going to help me to walk holy and obedient to your word. And if you said it, that's the way I got to live. I can't, you know, do it my way. I got to do it your way. And then he says here that some of these that follow Satan, and he says that a Christian woman has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility in the church. Then the church can care for widows who are truly alone. Now then, elders who do their work well should be paid well. In other words, if you've got elders in the church that are doing things, if you have people, a lot of elders in the church are like I was as an elder in the church I was well, in for a lot of years. I mean, I did everything. I mean, you know, I maintained the buses. You know, I mean, I helped put up doors and walls and fix lights. And I, I remember the Lakeland Baptist Church one time. Uh, the women that used to be in the nursery, the nursery got bigger and bigger and the church grew. And the women said, you know, the, the system we've got in the nursery, uh, the uh, amplification system is not working well. Sometimes we can't even hear uh, what the pastor is saying. We would love to know what's going on in the service. But we have to work back here. I thought to myself, I know what I'll do. I'm an engineer by trade. So I went out and bought a video camera and I put it up, side, up top in the sound room. I turned it on, I run cables down, I run splitters, and I went and bought a television and put in every room in the nursery and built a, a, a rack up there and turned it on. I went in there on Sunday morning. I said, now then, ladies, you want to know what's going on? You can turn that up to wherever you want to, if you want it lightly or just want the, the video. But I put a television in every, every room in the nursery and run the cables, run them all through that building. I spent all week doing that. And I did that because I love Jesus and people. Amen. And I didn't ask the church to pay for that. I paid for everything, provided the time and everything. So what are we supposed to do as Christian men and women? It says elders are supposed to be paid, but an elder doesn't have to be paid. I didn't need to be paid from the church. Why did I not need to be paid from the church? Because I had a job outside. I was making good money so I could take the money that I made and I could not only tithe into the church, but I could go do great things for the church. Now, then, does it pay good dividends when you're working for God and you give Him time? He'll pay you back. He will pay you back. He'll pay you back in good health or blessings or who knows we had a, a lady the other day that told us, I will not give the numbers because it would startle some of you. This lady, she said that I came to a healing school and I thought that I was going to have to pay a whole bunch of income tax. And it was a bunch. And so she gave a nice little sum of money to the, the ministry that day at a healing school. And when she got home, what she thought she was going to pay in taxes, the IRS had made a mistake. And now instead of having to pay this big sum, she got a third of that amount back instead of having to pay. And I thought, wow. And the amount she got back was a whole lot more than she gave us. But she was blessed abundantly. So, see, God, when you do His thing, He takes care of you. It's just like there's a man that comes to this church on a regular basis. He doesn't come all the time because he lives so far away. But this man told me one time, 
He called me and says, can I do something for you around your ministry center? Can I come help you do something? I said, sure, if you'd like to. I, I said, uh, what, what do you, what's it going to cost me to get this done? He said, no, I'm never. I, I'm going to do this for free. I'm not going to charge you a dime. He said, and besides that, right now, I don't have a whole lot to do. My business is kind of down. I said, okay. So he came out and brought two or three of his men, and they did some work for us up there at the minister center. And before he got home, he was loaded down with work. His phone was ringing off the hook. And he called me a few days later, and he said, boy, this was a real coincidence, you know. He said, I didn't have nothing to do. I come help you. And before the day was over, I had more work than I could do in the next two or three weeks. Well, about a month, not a month, two or three months later, the same thing happened. He got slow. And so he thought, well, I'll call Thurman and see if I can come help him do something. And so he called me and I said, sure, if you want to come, we got this you can help us do. And he brought a couple of these guys and they come up there and they helped us. And before he got home, he said he had more work than he could do. And then the guy kept coming back and telling me this. And he said, you know, Lord, I'm not doing this now just because I won't work. But, Lord, every time I do something for Thurman in his ministry, you bless my socks off. In fact, the other day he called me and he said, Do you know that in the last year that I've been helping you in your ministry, he said, I'm going to tell you I have made more net profit this year than I had total gross income last year. I thought, wow. See, when you help the Lord's ministry, when you sow into his works, what does he do back for you? He blessed this guy and his business abundantly. I don't never even have to ask anymore. He don't even ask me. He just comes and helps me or does anything. <laughs> it is, uh, he's been so blessed. But see, who's doing that? God is. I'm not. God is. And every time He helps our ministry do something, He gets so blessed. Because guess who put this ministry together? God did. This is not something I did. You know, I don't heal none of you. I don't do nothing except just preach His Word. And, and that's fun. And He does the rest. You know, it's so much fun to do, be about God's business and see Him heal all these people and see the King show up to do great and mighty things for His people. It's such fun. Now then, elders who do their work should be paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Now, those guys are supposed to be paid. It says, for the Scripture says, do not keep an ox from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. It says, do not listen to complaints against the elders unless there are two or three witnesses to accuse them. Don't ever listen to one man. One man comes in and says, oh, Thurman, he's really messed up. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, Thurman, I mean, he's doing a lot of things wrong. And I, there has been some people in this church that's done this to me. There has been. I've had people in this church call me back and say, you know, Joe Doe was talking very bad about you today. I said, no problem. When two or three agree, then you can listen to them. But when only one comes to you and starts running me down, you better be careful because it's the devil. Better be careful. But the devil will do that to you. They will do that. I've had him do that. I've had people do that to me. You know, some people don't like what I teach about God's Word. And this, this hole in this gospel that I teach, some of them don't like it. You know, some of them don't like it when I say you're sick because you've been sinning. They don't like that. 
And so they talk evil about me. Okay. Now then, if you got one, you know, and he's coming and talking evil about one elder, me, then don't listen to him. Don't listen to him at all. And if somebody starts talking evil about someone you know, don't listen to them. You know, don't pay any attention because love remembers no wrong. Sure, none of us yet are perfect. We're working to obtain that perfectness, but we're not there yet. But we're trying to get there. So if you make a mistake and somebody talks about you, then they didn't do what God says. God says, love remembers no wrongs. Even if they did you wrong, even if they did do something wrong, instead of you going out and start talking about them, what should you do? So, Lord, I forgive them. I ask you to move on their heart. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to say anything about them. I'm just going to turn them over to you. And I expect you to do something to them. But if you start going out and talking about someone, then you're not doing what God tells you to do. You have to be so careful with this thing that we got here called the tongue. It can either put us over in life or it can condemn us in life. And it's so easy when you start talking about someone, the next day you'll be down with a throat that you can't talk. Let me tell you about Thurman. I could talk good yesterday, but today I can only talk. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> oh, me. All I can say when I hear somebody like that, I say, all I can say is repent. Who you been talking about? Like Cheryl the other day, somebody had some problems with her skin and some little gross under her skin. She walked up and she saw those. She said, who's got under your skin? <laughs> and the guy says, whoa. And she said, somebody got under your skin, didn't you? And he said, yes, they did. And she said, okay, that's your problem. You need to forgive them. He said, whoa, I received this. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes the discerning of spirits. It just amazes me, you know, when God gives her that kind of revelation you know, about things. But he does that now. And I'm seeing him do that more and more all the time. Then it says, uh, it says, uh, anyone, anyone who has sinned. Now, of course, you're talking about rebuking, the, I mean, an elder that said, and don't believe nothing unless you're two or three. It said, anyone who has sinned should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that others will have a proper fear of God. Now, then. If we find somebody doing something wrong, now then, I remember a pastor here a while back. Well, it's been many years ago, but I was watching him on national television, and he's really a faith man. He does have a big church, I will have to say. But obviously, and I've never had this problem. Never have I ever had this problem with people giving a check that bounces. Well, I take that back. I've had one or two, but not very many. It's been very minimum with checks that bounce. But obviously, this church had had... People that tried to walk in faith, and you've heard people say that, just write a check and go ahead and give it and trust God to put the money in your bank account. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that at all. You trust God, you work, and you do what He says, and then when He brings you the money, then you write that check for 10% and give it to wherever you go to church. That's what you do. You don't step out and say, or you can write, it don't make difference. If you've got the money, if the money came in, you can give God 10, 20, 30, 50%. I remember when I got that first large check for my gas, well, I wrote a check for half of that and give it to the ministry. 
half of it. I didn't want to just write a check for 10% of that. I really didn't need it anyway. It was a quite a bit of money. So I wrote a check for 50% of my first large gas check and give it totally to the Living Savior Ministries because I didn't need the money in my personal bank account. But I could use it to pay the bills for the ministry back in those days. So you don't have to tithe. You know, you can give more and God will understand. But don't say, okay, I'm believing God's going to give me $100,000 on my gas well in six months. I'm going to go ahead and write the church a check for 50000 No, don't you do that. If you ain't got the money in the bank, don't give it to me. Don't give it to nobody unless you've got the money. But obviously this church, some of the people there, it was a great faith church. And evidently some of the people had done that. So this pastor, he preached on this sermon, this right here, where he says, rebuke them before the church. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Some of you here write checks and they bounce. He said, now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you this time. But he said, if I get another check from anybody in this church that bounces, I'm going to stand up here on national television, and I'm going to call you forth, and I'm going to have you come right here and say, your check bounced. Let me tell you what. I mean, it quit. It quit. And if you ain't, he said, if you don't have the money in the bank, don't you write this church a check, because said, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. And he said, I don't think God likes that at all. And so he said, don't you ever do that again. He said, don't you try to walk by faith and say, okay, I'm giving a $50 or $100 check. And knowing you don't have no money in your bank account, and you're going to believe God's going to put $1,000 in your bank account before the check gets there. He said, don't you do that in this church. Because said, if you do. He said, if you give me a check and it bounces, and the people that do the uh, checks, if they bring one to me and say, Pastor John Doe, give us a check for $100, and we sent it through, and we sent it through three times, and it bounced every time, he said, I'm going to bring that check, I'm going to show it, and I'm going to call your name, and I'm going to say, this is, you don't do this no more. And so, let me tell you, but the Word of God says we're supposed to rebuke people that do things wrong before the church. So that everybody will stand in fear. How would you like to be called out by the pastor and say, Okay, John, come up here. I'm going to rebuke you for what you've done. <laughs> hey, you love it when God, when I say, Give up here and give a testimony of what God does. You like that, but I wouldn't like to be called out either. I'll tell you for sure. But the Word says do that. So what it would do, that person might not never come back to church if you did that. <laughs> But at least it might straighten the rest of us up, right? All I can say is God said it. I mean, He's the one we've got to be responsible to. Then so anyway, then He says, uh, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the holy angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing special favor to anyone. Now, do you think God expects us to do what He said here? Who do you think that was talking out of Paul's mouth? The Holy Ghost, right? He said, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and the holy angels. And see there, he knows that the angels are all around too. Do you know there's angels here in this church today? Yeah, there's angels here. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Praise the King. You know, these guys are here. They're sent here to protect you and me. We can't see them. Oh, Lord, would I love it if you would open our eyes for a second to see these beings, these wonderful beings of grandeur, that we might see them. 
wow, because I know they're here. Paul's telling us about them. And, of course, I've had the privilege to see a few of those in my life, but the ones I got to see looked like normal men. But I'd like to see the angels that were dressed in the, their, oh, you know, with the wings and the ones that, that fly, you know, with power and, and have their swords on and all that stuff. Wow, what I love to see them. Of course, it might shock me. I might not be able to, you know, who knows. But anyway, I'd still love to see them. Would you, Benjamin? Yeah, I would love to see these guys. I know they're here, but Paul says in the presence of the holy angels. So we know these are the good angels because they're the holy ones, not the evil ones. And to obey all these instructions without taking sides or showing special favor to anyone. Now, if we show special favor to anyone, what are we guilty of? Sin. We show special favor to anyone you're guilty of sin. And I talked to a man last night that said that uh, he had been involved in many. He was a building in building construction. And he said, I have dealt with many churches building buildings. And he said, you've never seen so many nasty knockdown dragouts as you can have between a board of elders in a church when they can't decide on what they want to do about a church. He said, I've never seen such men that can tear into one another. And I thought, how sad this is. He said, you know who always gets his way? I thought, I said, well, I think I know, but you tell me. He said, it's the one that's got the most money. He's the one that always gets his way. He said, we go, if he happens to be one of those kind of guys and he's got the deep pockets, he said, we're going to either build it like this or I don't support it. And so he said he always gets his way. Isn't that a shame? It should never be. You know, we should be able to agree or disagree and still go away in love. You know, that's just the way it should be. Sure, they may not build it like you want it, but if they don't do it your way, then praise God. You know, go ahead and help support it, right? Sure. I mean, I was an architect, an engineer, and everything. And when we built one of the churches I was in years ago, they wanted to do it a certain way. And I told them, I said, you know, you got it turned wrong. You know, you need to do it this way. And if you want to add on to it, if you do it this way, you can. I mean, I built lots of big buildings all over the world. And I built them to add on to. So I said, if you want to add on to it, you really need to do it from this angle. Well, they looked at it and they said, but that's not the way we want to do it. I said, okay. So I tell you, this is the way. And, of course, now they've added on to that church. And uh, it cost them a fortune compared to what they could have added on it the other way. But that's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, while I was there at that church, I loved them, and I taught the Word there. I supported that church with my tithes and offerings and everything. And But, but you know, they did a lot of things I disagreed with. I remember one time they wanted to have a start a Bible study class on the Tuesday evening, and they wanted it to be revolved around a martial arts class. I told them, I don't think we ought to have martial arts in church. But they disagreed with me. I said, okay, that's okay. You know, but I just, you know, I can't uh, approve of this, you know, but did I withhold my tithes from that church? No, no. You know, I'm giving my tithes to God. I'm not giving my tithes to that church. I'm giving my tithes and my offerings unto the Lord. And He knows that. Now, once I give that, He puts that, ha- that money in the hands of somebody and He holds them responsible for what they do with it. And it's not my responsibility after that. Now then, never be in a hurry about appointing an elder. 
Now, see, this is this is a good this is a good example of how you should do things. You should not be in a hurry to do anything. If you're starting to found your business, don't be in a hurry. You know, back off and look at it, pray over it. Don't be. Oh, nope, this, we got a special deal. If you don't buy this this afternoon, you're going to lose. I mean, you got to have this today. It's only going to cost you ten thousand if you don't do it by nine, six o'clock today. It's over. You're going to lose the fortune. Hey, walk off from it. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't ever get into one of them kind of deals. Don't do anything hurriedly like that. Anybody, some, anybody that comes to you say you got to do this now. You got to get this door right. There ain't no opportunity past this. Say, forget it. Let somebody else have it. I ain't jumping in there. I'm going to wait on God. When you wait on God, and if you guys, if you run into one of them deals, and it looks like it's the best deal you ever had, and your wife's sitting there with you, don't ever make the decision without talking to her. And if you turn and talk to her and say, honey, what do you think about this? And she says, don't touch that. You better pay attention. Better pay attention. Because remember, her right and left brain communicates like this, and yours don't. It takes two or three, two or three days for all that information to run around in there. Guys, I'm sorry. That's the way we're made. God did this to us. I mean, Dr. James Dawson confirmed this to us. Now, Ty's a doctor. He may know that or he may not have known. I bet he did, though. But Dr. James Dawson also is a doctor. And when I heard him say that at a certain place in the womb, the right and left brain, the link only in the males is burned in two. It doesn't happen on the females. You know, I mean, this, this is true. I heard this. I heard Dr. Dodson himself say this. You know, so us guys, just like every woman knows, every one of us guys was born with brain damage, you know. And if you don't believe it, all you got to do, I mean, you, you, if you're a woman, if you're a woman, how many of you women ever talk to your husband every time and tell him something and he gets it the first time? How many of you women say your husband gets it the first time? <laughs> Ty's dead here trying to get Cheryl to hold her hand up. She ain't going to hold her hand up either. Because <laughs> she knows that'd be a lie. <laughs> He's a man just like me. And we have to be told three or four times, don't we, Cheryl? Sure we do. So, you know, so don't do anything in a hurry. You know, take time. Pray over it. I don't care what it is you're going to do. If you're going to go into business or you're going to you know, appoint somebody as an elder or whatever... Don't do anything quickly. You know, it says, never in a hurry. Never be in a hurry about appointing an elder. Well, that's good information about doing anything. Never be in a hurry about doing things. Take time to pray over it. Seek God and seek His direction, and you'll make a whole lot less mistakes. I will say that. Then he says, do not participate in the sins of others. In other words, if you... Do these kind of things too quickly and you get involved with people that are involved in sin, you will become a partaker of their sin. Now, if you invite people to your home on a regular basis to have dinner or whatever, and you know or you go out with people that you know is living in sin, hey, it may be okay to go sit down and talk to them and tell them what God's Word says, but don't become a partaker with them on a regular basis of becoming a friend of theirs and going and be entertained by them or you entertain them in your home. If you talk to them, say, you know, like a couple that's living together. 
You say, you know, you two are living together and this is sin. You all both profess to be Christians. You go to church, but you're living together. You're having sex together. You're not married. This is a sin. And they said, well, okay, we know that, but we're going to keep doing it anyway. Well, let me tell you, when you tell them that and they're going to keep doing that, he says, don't even go sit down and have a meal with them or you will become a partaker of their sin. In other words, the soul ties that you will generate from touching them and being in with them, those demons will come into your house and you will not like those demons when they come into your house. You will become a partaker of soul ties. You know how easy it is to generate a soul tie? All you got to do is touch somebody. All you got to do is touch them. And you just, I mean, people say, I don't believe that. Now, let me tell you, one of the finest men that I deal with is a good Christian man. He's a good, solid Christian man. That man went with me a while back and to a pastor's conference. And we sat down. Before we sat down, there was a man with carpal tunnel at the stairs. And whenever I walked up, I saw them carpal tunnel sleeves. He really had it bad. I said, sir, what's wrong with you? You have carpal tunnel? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, well, would you like to be healed? He said, well, of course. I said, well, you know, all you got to do is repent of your sins and I'll cast them devils out of you. And the Lord will heal you. And he looked at me kind of strange. And I said, well, all you got to do is believe. Jesus made the promise. He said, well, okay. And so he did. And I started to reach for him. And the gentleman that was with me said, Thurman, can I lay hands on him with you? I said, are you ready? And he just barely hesitated. And he said, well, okay, yeah. Now, see, he shouldn't have hesitated. That hesitation opened him up to a demon. He walked over and put his hands on this man. I rebuked the demons, commanded him to leave. And the guy was instantly healed. All his pain went away and everything. Jesus completely delivered him. But that demon came out of him and he went into the man beside me. Now, see, we didn't know that until 1 o'clock the next morning. But one o'clock the next morning, that demon wasn't very smart. If he'd have been smart, he'd have waited two or three months. See? But he wasn't very smart. Within a few hours, he thought, well, I'm going to get him. And he started putting pain. He woke him up at one o'clock in the morning with excruciating pains in both wrists. He immediately said, God, what did I do? The Lord revealed to him what he had done that he had sinned when he became a partaker of that man's sin because he had not stood in total faith. And by not standing in total faith, when I cast the demon out of him, he went directly into him. And he, was, he said, Lord, I repent, I repent. And after he repented, he said, now you devil of hell, it's written in Luke 10, 19 and 20, you've got to come out of me. And that demon left. And he never had a problem with those wrists anymore. But you see how easy it is to become a partaker. Of course, Ty knows this same man. He knows his stories. I'm telling the truth. He's talked to him about it too. So we know that how easy it is. And of course, this is why at the end of every day that we minister, just like yesterday and today, when we minister, there's a lot of demons that's going to change places. When we minister, because we kick them out. We believe we walk in total faith. But just in case there's some little flaw that we don't, when we get ready to leave here at night, after everybody's gone home, we gather around in a circle and we break every soul tie, we break every curse, and demand and command every demon that might have entered any one of us to go to the pit of hell and not come back in the name of Jesus. Now then, if you don't do that, if you pray for people anywhere, after every time you pray for people, 
you need to realize that these demons can transfer. They can transfer from the person you pray for into you if you're not walking in total obedience to God's Word, walking in total faith. You can get their demon. And you won't like it. They transfer real easy. I mean, they can just slip from one person right into another one. And that's how we get them. Just walking in unbelief allows these demons to come into us. Or what well, this corporal tunnel, that just like this lovely lady that I prayed for a while ago, that we get carpal tunnel. We get this because we hear people say, if you work on a keyboard, you're going to get carpal tunnel. Or then we might make a statement, oh, I wonder if I'll get that. Well, when you open that door, that's all it took. And that demon enters you. Now, see, you've got to walk in total faith knowing that Jesus bore your sins. He removed your sickness and your disease. And then and only then, if you keep yourself pure and holy, can you keep these beasts out. And when you do, I mean, even though you go somewhere and you're not walking like this one Christian man that went with me to a pastor's conference, and he just doubted one second, and those demons went from that man right into him. Now, like I say, if that demon had waited about three months... And then he had to come on slowly, and his hands started hurting, and it started to put the thoughts in your mind. Oh, you know, you use a computer a lot. You know, you're now getting carpal tunnel. He might have fell for this. It's so easy to fall for the devil instead of God's Word. But if you don't know it, it says very clearly, you can become a partaker of their sin. And when you do, then their demons can enter you. So if you hear, or anywhere, if you're out praying for people, after you pray for people and you had a day at work, when you go home, there's no telling who you touched or whose hands you shook in the course of a day that had demons. No telling. So at the end of the day, you ought to say, Lord, I've tried my best to walk totally holy before you today. But Lord, if there's anything I lack, I repent of every sin and every soul tie that's been generated between me and anybody or anything I've touched. I rebuke it, and I repent of every sin, and I drive away the demons that went with those curses. I'm not under any curse. I am redeemed from the curse, so I'm free in the name of Jesus. And if you walk in obedience to His Word, total in obedience to His Word, you don't have to be concerned. But there's hardly nobody I know that walks totally in obedience to God's Word 24-7. You get back into the flesh every once in a while. And you open that door. And when you do, you can get that soul tie. You can get that curse. You can get that demon. And then that demon will come upon you. Because he says there, he says, don't... Let's see, where was he? Okay, 22 and 23. Never be in a hurry about appointing an elder. Do not participate in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Keep yourself how pure? What is pure? In other words, that's not 99% pure, is it? No. In other words, that's not just one drop of nasty sewer water in a 10-gallon jug of water, is it? No. No. I mean, that's pure water. I mean, if I was to have, like I say, if I put a five-gallon jug of water up here and it was had this good, clean, pure water in it, no problems at all, and you see me walk in there and take a little vial and dip it down in the commode, although it might have been flushed already, you know, but I bring this in and I say, oh, I got this out of the commode, I'm going to pour it in this bucket. Anybody want to drink? No. I bet there wouldn't be none of y'all drink none of that water, would you? No, not at all, you know, because you know it's not pure. Well, that's what God tells us to be, Tom, pure, right? He don't even want a drop of that stuff in there, right? 
<laughs> it still ain't going to be pure, is it? No. Keep yourself pure. In other words, when he says keep yourself pure, you don't have to worry about the enemy, right? Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. Now, here he's giving Timothy. He's talking to Timothy. So he's giving him a little drink here. He said, now, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Now, Timothy had a problem. He had some kind of sickness in his stomach. Obviously, the water in that part of the world, I don't know if any of you have ever been over there, but I'm telling you, you want to drink some water that's impure. And I'm going to tell you that we don't realize what's in the water. Now, we say we want to drink pure water, but we don't know what's in the water. When you get clear water, it looks good. I can remember, now, I don't want this to turn anybody's stomach, but I can remember going to the river when I was a kid, and I'm swimming that old dirty water. Now, I know some of y'all probably done the same things. Ernie's <laughs> shaking his head. He's swimming in dirty creeks and rivers, too. Here I am. I'm swimming out there, and, of course, it's summertime, and I'm hot, and I'm swimming along, and I need a drink, so I'm just dry, swimming along drinking that river water, you know. I just, I, mean, I just have a nice drink, you know, and I go along, and all of a sudden I get up there, and there's an old dead cow laying half in the creek, half in the river. I mean, the maggots are eating her, the buzzards are sitting there, and the water's running right around her, and, contamin- and I'm drinking that stuff. A lot of protein. Ty says I'm getting a lot of protein. <laughs> Woo, I don't like that kind of protein. No. But you know, you don't know. That's why the Lord says you and me need to pray over everything. Because when we drink water or eat food, we really don't know what's in it. You know, you don't know what's in it. And of course, today... With what they put in food, you know, and the things we feed the animals, I mean, they put so many things in that that's not good for us. Of course, Ty being a farmer, a rancher, and, and all that stuff, he knows what they put in that stuff. And he knows a lot of stuff they put in that feed with them cows is not good for us. He's told me that before. That's why whenever we eat something, we need to pray over it and sanctify it with the Word of God in prayer, with thanksgiving, so we don't wind up like Timothy and we have a sickness in our stomach. Now, then, if we eat the right things and drink the right things, you should not have sickness in your stomach. If you do, you should be able to pray over it and get it taken care of. If you pray over it and it doesn't happen, then you need to find out what you're doing wrong. You're doing something wrong. You need to repent, and who knows what you're doing wrong. Maybe you're talking evil about someone. You know, maybe you're talking evil about yourself. You know, maybe you're getting angry and you don't even realize it. But, you know, there's always somebody. You know, it's easier from the outside to see what you're doing wrong than it is for you to see from the inside. And do you know whenever I say, honey, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Watch me today and see what I do wrong. And then when a little while she says, well, this is what you're doing wrong. You're not being the loving, kind husband that you're supposed to be. Ooh, that hurt, didn't it, James? I mean, just like we started the church a while ago, you know, she the wind was blowing. She had her lovely dress on, her hair done beautiful. And she walks out, starts to get in the car, opens the car door, and I open my car door, and the wind blows right through the car, and her hair goes like this and everything. And I, I, she said, look at, look at me. I'm a mess already, and I'm not to church. I said, well, you know, go ahead and get in. She said, if you were being the loving, kind husband you were supposed to be, you would be over opening my door, letting me get in, and then closing the door for me. The honeymoon's over. <laughs> 
Oh, Lord, please, Lord, help me to remember the honeymoon's not over, Lord. You, you know, hey. So, so, see, whenever, whenever something, when we ask somebody to tell us on the outside, when they tell us what we're doing wrong, we don't want to hear it. I know none of y'all are like that except me. I, uh, you know, you're, did God tell us to love our wives like, like Christ loved the church? I, I guess she reminds me of that too, pretty regular. So, but anyway, it's a, it's something when your wife tells you what you're doing wrong. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but anyway, it's easier for you to see my sins than for me to see mine. And so when you tell me do it lovingly and kindly and gently, try not to walk up and punch me in the nose. Say, hey, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> I will try to change. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this magnificent Word of God that you've sent us and all the wonderful things you do for us. You're such an awesome God. And, Lord, we learn how to live and how to treat each other and everything from your Word. Lord, outside of the Word of God, the spiritual law of God, we have no knowledge of what to do, how to treat people or anything else. But with the Word, we understand, and now we have a responsibility to do what the Word of God tells us. So, Father, thank you for your words, and may you bless what we've done today in the name of Jesus.